Who is the most kind leader for whom you have worked? And what was the tension they experienced in maintaining kindness in the face of increasing pressure to do otherwise? I'm Dr. Rob McKenna, and welcome to The Wild Conversation, where we make the best thinking in psychology, leadership, and organizational science accessible to leaders who are willing to learn and edit for their sake and for the sake of others. Today, we are here to blame leaders for all the things they've done to us. Just kidding. That's not what we're going to do. That's not what today is about. Today, we are kicking off our new series on toxic leadership and specifically kindness beyond being nice. So this topic of kindness is a part of our larger series on toxic leadership. And when we were deciding whether or not to do this series and to title it toxic leadership, I was a bit torn. I was torn because I have too little patience for people who spend most of their energy blaming what they would consider toxic leaders without any sense that they are living, <laughs> they are a living irony, uh, being as toxic as the leaders they're blaming. And as I say that, please know that I am fully aware and equally convicted by the reality that there are toxic leaders out there. But if we are to cast that first stone at them, We'd better be ready for a thousand stones to come back our way. And however, I got to say this, I would never deny the reality that toxicity exists. And there are many times when that toxicity goes straight to the top of our organizations. For anyone new to WILD and what whole and intentional leader development is about, this is about an intentional investment in a generation of courageous and sacrificial leaders. And that includes us. And being in this for the long play, understanding the nuance and story of the one while paying attention to the needs of the many, and inviting every person in our organizations into the possibility that they could learn, they could grow, and they could change for their sake, and more importantly, maybe for the sake of others. It's a, it's a big aspiration, I know that. And that's why we do that through our wild system of whole and intentional tools that so many of you have experienced for yourself and for your teams or your business. So as we begin this series, let's define toxicity and what it's all about. And then let's dive into kindness. To be toxic is to be poisonous and very harmful or unpleasant in a pervasive or insidious way. Now, I kind of knew what insidious meant, but I needed to look it up. Insidious means Proceeding in a gradual, subtle way, but with harmful effects. Wow. To be insidious. Think of that. To be a toxic leader is to be poisonous and harmful and unpleasant and pervasive and insidious. It means that it may not happen all at once, but that poison we spread occurs gradually subtly and produces really harmful effects. And unfortunately, it is highly likely that most of us have worked in a toxic environment or with a toxic leader. I wish it wasn't true, but it likely is for you. And for many of us, even reflecting back can be a painful process. For so many people, being in those kinds of environments are 
so incredibly taxing and unsustainable over the long haul. And in, in so many cases, it snuck up on us. Toxic environments and being around a toxic leader or team member is so powerful that we even have a name for it in psychological research. And the name for it is emotional labor. And I just to, to give you some definition, emotional labor is defined as the mental activity required to manage or perform the routine tasks necessary for maintaining relationships and ensuring smooth running of a household or process. I kind of love the idea of organizations as households. It's like, or just even further, the management of one's, this is emotional label, labor, the management of one's emotions in order to present oneself and interact with other people in a certain way while doing a job. In essence, having to work really hard at the basics of relationships. In some cases, making performance just a nice dream. It's like, we're just working hard at trying to just get along. Basically, it means how much work are you having to do emotionally to just survive and function? And I would suggest this, like too much emotional labor and our work and even our teams become unsustainable, meaning they will either implode, disperse, and or restart somewhere else. However, too little, too little emotional labor, and we are likely blind to the reality that we ourselves may be the problem. Because we all need to work at, at working well with others on some level. So there is this necessity for some, like, we need to work a little bit at that, labor a little bit at that. And if we're not, then what if it's us? Now, I want to give a nod to a related but different conversation regarding what is really going on in each of us. Whether you have read my book, Composed, The Heart and Science of Leading Under Pressure, have used the Leading Under Pressure inventory that is a part of our whole leader development toolkit that we use as a system for developing leaders in your organization over the long haul, or you've been a part of a past wild conversation where we talked about this, becoming aware of our own presence and defaults under pressure is critically important. And the number one litmus test for a toxic environment, I would suggest to you, is the extent to which blame and gossip are the defaults over taking responsibility for ourselves. And I would say the big takeaway, if people are having to work too hard at just being present and doing their jobs, it is unsustainable and a huge predictor of a lack of productivity. And we must be aware of the possibility that we may be the problem. And to know if we are, to, to think about the extent to which we which blame on others is our personal headline. We've all been guilty. So it's as convicting to me as it may be to you. Um, but that's a different conversation. But the topic of what we describe at, at Wild Leaders as leadership differentiation is something I would encourage you to follow up on, uh, and we'll provide some of those resources. So if toxicity is about an environment that is poisonous and very harmful or unpleasant in a pervasive or insidious way, in other words, sneaks up on us, <laughs> what in the world does that have to do with kindness? And what is the whole story of kindness? Over the last two years, I've had some, I've made some lifelong friendships with a group of amazing humans who are a part of a movement called the Kindness Games. If you don't know any of them, I hope you'll meet some of them soon. Created in 2020 by Tim Wenzel and Lee Otten, the Kindness Games was started as a way to encounter to counter the disruption, hate, and discontent that has engulfed our world in the last few years. And as they say, 
They aim to heal our relationships and communities through kindness. What I love about my friends at the Kindness Games is that they are realists, meaning that they understand the nuance and challenges of kindness and the risks and have chosen to push out and enter right into the tensions of our world. What I also love about them is that they aren't living with their heads in the clouds. And if you get to know any of them or any of us who believe in the possibilities and radicalness of kindness, we know that it is oftentimes more complex than just being nice. And that's where the fun and the courage begins. So what I'd love to do is unpack several aspects of the whole story of kindness as one piece of the antidote for the brokenness and toxicity that many of us have encountered or are encountering today. So here we go. Number one, true kindness is in our roots as well as our limbs. True kindness is in our roots as well as our limbs. Kindness, unlike only what we experience today. So if you think of our limbs as the nice things, people are nice to us, is more than just being just those things on the surface, that it's rooted in something deeper than saying hi, although I would not deny that that's important. And in its best form is rooted in a sacrificial and selfless act of being kind to those who may be most difficult to be kind to. I would describe it as a shift in our DNA based on practice, like something we intentionally repeat in moments where it may, most, may be most challenging to do so. And so related to that, number two, kindness is more than being nice. It means being kind to those who are most difficult for us to be kind to. It's easy to be kind to people we like or those, those who we want to like us. But what about the annoying people? And as some of you have heard me say, you will know how kind I have become by how I treat those who are unkind to me or to people or things that are important to me. And I got to tell you, that is, that is convicting for me personally. And I, and I hope you hear that I'm fully aware that as I point that out to you, I've got four fingers pointing right back at me. <laughs> so number three, kindness is a risk. In certain parts, parts of our world, especially in some caste contexts where literal castes define your position in society, kindness is a sign of weakness and a threat to those in power. We don't see it every day in the United States, where I am, but even here, tolerance is sometimes not tolerated and is even condemned. Um, and while I hope you haven't experienced that level of persecution for being sacrificially kind, if you have, you understand the, the, re the reality I'm describing for many. In some parts of our world, at home or abroad, kindness is an indicator that you are not highest in the pecking order of your organization or society. And I'm not talking about kindness where we say kindness is our core value, uh, where there's really nothing behind that, that we just hang that on the wall. I'm talking about that kindness someone offers you that you describe as a wild, surprising, and even an undeserved moment. Oof, number four, kindness is about, I love this, it's, kindness is about the value of every human being. It's built on the assumption that every human being has value, regardless of their brokenness. To be kind to you, even if you are difficult for me, is based on the hope and possibility that you aren't stuck and there is inherent value in you. 
Number five, kindness. Here's a, here's a reality check. Kindness walks in constant tension with truth. Being kind is not the only goal. That's the reality. The tension is also being truthful and direct. Could I be kind to you by telling you no? I, I, a whole conversation regarding kindness must include the reality that we wrestle with that. When am I supposed to be kind? And when am I supposed to be clear and direct, even if it is harsh? As an example, and I, I hope you will be patient with me, but I was with a doctor with a loved one who doesn't hear very well. This happened very recently. And the doctor did not communicate very well. I, the doctor was a mumbler. Blah, 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 blah. And I uh, like it's I, at one point I, I said you to the doctor, you are speaking very softly and we cannot hear you. Would you please speak up? It was I, it was not kindness, but directness that seemed appropriate. But in, in some cases, and for some of you, that response from me may have seemed unkind. I get that. But I think it's, it's, a, it's a different but related thing. Number six, kindness is directly related to something we share. It's likely no mistake that the word kindness shares a root with kindred, something we share. And it begs a question, if I don't know you, what do we share that would compel me to be kind to you? Or more accurately, what is it that I might not know yet that you are experiencing that I have experienced? So going back to my doctor example, <laughs> kindness in a kindred way would be for me to step back and think of my friends who are nurses and doctors who have told me about how understaffed some of their units are and the stress that has been has has been almost as big as the stress that they felt when the when they were in the middle of the pandemic and so i think it's interesting kindness is directly related to something we share something kindred number 7 related to that kind is not who we are but a state of being we should be so careful to label someone as kind or unkind because we do not know the, their circumstances or timing a longer-term perspective on kindness means that we are likely more or less kind in different moments or for and for different reasons. As I said before, you will know how kind I have become by how I treat those who are unkind to me or to people or things that are important to me. Number eight, kindness. This, is, this one is really interesting. Like, kindness is a process. Kindness is a process. It's not a label. Kindness is not something we arrive at, but something we maintain and work on for the rest of our lives together. Just because we fall or someone else falls, we cannot give up in a moment of weakness, but we keep working at it. It's like I told a friend the other day, true, whole, and intentional leader development isn't about creating great workplaces and being perfect and performing perfectly and calling it good. Like we're good now. We have got it all dialed in. It's about inviting each of us into the reality that we will fall and we will fail. We will have off days as individuals and as leaders and as teams, but we're in it for the long haul in, in for the process. Number nine, kindness is customized. It looks and feels different for different people. 
if you've used our leading under pressure inventory, you're aware that those who have a higher attention to self and those who have a higher attention to others when they're in these high pressure, really important moments that matter, the different people with those different attentiveness to different things will experience kindness and truth differently. For example, those who pay a lot of attention to what others feel sometimes struggle to be truthful. And sometimes and it, it almost feels like they're being unkind. And those with a higher attention to self under pressure will have work, have to work harder at being kind even before being direct. So here we are. Number 10. This is a big one. Kindness is a choice. Kindness is a choice to express gratitude, to relate to others, and to see their perspective and offer some care, even especially to those with whom it is most difficult to be kind. It's easier to be kind when it serves us, or it's easy. It's much more difficult with someone that we perceive as being against us. So what does kindness have to do with toxicity? Imagine a world or an organization where every leader understood that kindness and care uh, for the experience of another person was something that must be minded and grown and sown into our roots. Even when every fiber in our body was calling us out to be something other than that, imagine what it would mean to be kind to someone and to offer them positive regard, even when it's toughest to do so. If we are to be those leaders, what would it do? <laughs> what would it do to the toxicity of our organizations? What difference would it make if we chose to push against our defaults in the most challenging moments to do so and practice kindness, compassion, putting ourselves in the shoes of others while maintaining a connection to the reality that the moments of direct confrontation will be necessary? What would that look like? The, the greatest evidence of kindness getting into our roots and our DNA is not only speaking kindly to others, but when we speak of them. It's an impossible and incredible aspiration that may be one of the most convicting and important conversations we have this year. So in that spirit, let's keep this conversation going. Thank you for listening to this Wild Conversation. To join our live Wild Conversation on Fridays, visit our website at wildleaders.org backslash wild conversation and subscribe to this podcast for regular whole and intentional leader development conversations. Have a great day. 